0: Mike Walsh and you're listening to Between Worlds so I've got this love hate relationship with accounting yeah I, uh, I spent numerous years studying it uh, too much time trying to practice it and And yet I'm fascinated by it because if you kind of look at the earliest origins of human society, you know, the double entry bookkeeping, the Medici's in the financial world, even the Sumerians, you know, Mm -hmm. who first started recording expenses on Mm -hmm. stone tablets, you can't get away from the fact that numbers and expenses are at the bedrock of human civilization. It's there. (laughs) (laughs) And yet it's so dull in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you kind of feel, I mean, what do you see? Because I mean, you guys, you and, and the work you're doing is really at the at sort of the cutting edge of the way we're thinking about expenses and numbers. Do, do you do you think that accounting could be a sexy job in the twenty first century?
1: Absolutely. It all it all comes down to uh, you know what outcomes you decide to go after and how you create those outcomes, right? So uh, a bit of uh, background on sort of how I came to join uh, the company that I'm a part of today. Um, and, and I kind of see that just as a natural evolution in sort of any space, so to speak. And if you think about it, like, you know, when you have a new problem that you're trying to attack, right, generally there'll be uh, consulting firms out there that, you know, have developed some subject matter expertise, a point of view on how to tackle that problem. And you're gonna go hire those folks and hire them for their expertise uh, so that uh, they can come in your organization and help you plug those loopholes, right? In, in the world that I grew up in, uh, that loophole happened to be that uh, these large Fortune 500 companies were uh, leaking cash in the form of uh, overpayments or under deductions to their vendors and suppliers. And uh, soon enough started popping up these uh, mom-and-pop audit firms uh, that eventually got all consolidated uh, by this one gigantic audit firm, right? right? And, and so, what, so
0: their pitch was basically, you know, you're losing money. We'll step in and we'll exactly, figure it out exactly. Exactly, right?
1: And it was great during the 80s and the 90s to a large degree, right? But then eventually, what started happening is, um, the folks that ran the business processes for these companies recognized how they could do this job on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you started seeing a lot of these companies taking on that process internally and and plugging in those loopholes and and doing a good job of it, but it was still manual. right? And then ultimately, now they're looking to bring in technology to automate some of that component uh, so it's not as manual. Um, And then the next evolution of that is, well, how can I use that technology in a smarter way to make recommendations? about the business process, so I'm in this continuous process improvement loop, right? So again, the evolution here is you bring in people who have expertise, then you try to take that on in-house internally, and then mm. you try to automate, and then you try to improve.
0: So, so this is interesting. And, and just, you know, for those of you who haven't realized by now, I'm having a cup of coffee with uh, Manish Singh, who's a EVP at Oversight Systems, a company that's actually <laughs> doing a lot of what we're just talking about. And uh, I had the great pleasure of speaking with their group this morning in, um, in Atlanta. But one of the fascinating things that, that strikes me about this evolution is that what we're almost seeing is from the grassroots, a shift from uh, plugging holes to systems that are so smart they can actually tell us where we should be spending money in the first place. Mm-hmm. And this is not just travel and expenses, it's procurement, <laughs> um, almost every, everywhere that the company spends cash. Correct. Uh, But in the past, I guess you had, you know, not just consultants, but literally teams of people inside companies pouring through travel and expense reports, right?
1: That's right. And that still is happening at a large degree in in a number of companies. And and the process was uh, essentially an employee submits an expense report. Oh, God, those expense um, reports. uh, Right. And (laughs) and then you have um, somebody in the back office in the finance organization that's eyeballing these expense reports and trying to... Uh, reconcile against the receipts, and they or, might
0: actually be in Hyderabad or something. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Um, offshore, generally, and uh, and essentially, they're trying to make a judgment on: um, Hey, is this expense report reasonable? Without a whole lot of context, you know, the, the context is just around what's been put on that single expense report. So they don't know: Is this normal for this employee? Is this normal for other employees in the company? Does this employee have a pattern of doing this type of behavior? Right. Uh, they're simply. Looking at that single expense report at a point in time and trying to make a judgment, right? And, <laughs> and most and they'll,
0: they'll see the obvious stuff. Like I, I, you know, one of the examples that one of your colleagues gave me, which was hilarious, was the nuclear fallout shelter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. There will be things that you know, um, so much you know, to expense will that will pop out uh, and and hopefully is glaring. But again, you're relying on the judgment of that individual auditor to to spot those, right? Right. Uh, and and make a determination on hey, this seems out of the norm. Um, But more often than not, what ends up happening here is more of a clerical check, right? At at best, what you're doing is identifying some defects, some errors, some minor policy violations. But what you've done in the process is introduced so much overhead uh, that is slowing down the business process and not really creating better outcomes for you. Right.
0: So how how does this age of AI and machine learning and data change the equation with the way we think about that task?
1: No, that's a great question, right? So you gotta start with the end in mind, right? right? What is the job that you're trying to accomplish here? What is the end goal or the outcome that you're trying to go after? And in the world of oversight systems where we operate, it comes down to essentially mitigating risk and influencing employee behavior. But it does us no good if we do these two first tasks, but in the process make you operationally inefficient, right? right. So it's it's all three of those things, right? So you gotta be able to mitigate the risk, you gotta influence the behaviors. But you got to do it in an operationally efficient manner, right? So, and, and that's the, the ultimate higher purpose of technology. The way we transform this job is uh, take a risk based approach to identifying you know, potential breakdowns that may occur in the process. And, and it's not just about an individual expense report, risk is about employees, right? right. So we start mapping out the behaviors of the employees, uh, get an understanding of what's normal within the organization yeah. to then look for anomalies. So this, this sets a baseline. Exactly.
0: Right. So, you, the, the context now for judging whether an expense, for example, is correct or not, suddenly becomes the data on all of past examples, both inside and potentially even outside the company, right? In, in similar,
1: that's right. Uh, similar proxies. That's right. That's right. And that's the value of data, right? So, right. when you're uh, collecting all this information, you can benchmark it both internally and externally, and then you can really try to provide a context on why something is unusual.
0: Yeah, you mentioned an interesting phrase there—a risk-based approach—and mm-hmm. it's funny because I come across this in in many fields and many professions. This mm-hmm. shift towards a from a kind of a deterministic view of the that's universe right. to one that's more probabilistic. Mm-hmm. So rather than just yes or no, binary, mm-hmm. it's right or not, it's more like mm-hmm. this could be 70% right. We're not sure. That's right. That's right. So so what does this mean in this context?
1: Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, companies have policies, right, that they want employees to adhere to. But they realize that these policies are guidelines, right? Um, now there are going to be uh, situations where, you know, people are going to make purchases that. Yeah, they violate policy, but it's required to do the business, right? And, and, it, and what I'm talking about here, like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the meals are a little bit more expensive than, right. you know, the, th- the, the thresholds and whatnot. And there's a business justification to a lot of these types of issues, right? So it's... Uh, and,
0: and if you go to trip to North Korea, you may actually need the, <laughs> the nuclear fallout. The, that's right. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, and a lot of insurance.
1: But, uh, but yeah, so it's... Uh, so policies and doing a policy audit by itself can be very laborious, but more importantly, it, it's not going to be indicative of true risk within the organization, right? So the way we think about technology is to augment uh, the human's job in a way that, that allows them to really understand the characteristics of what makes something unusual. Um, with Oversight, we built uh, our, our technology around an artificial intelligence platform that leverages a concept called evidential reasoning. So we are essentially looking for multiple pieces of weighted evidence to draw these risk rank conclusions. Right? Right. So for example, um, an employee happens to make a jewelry purchase um, you know, when they're traveling on business. That's one clue or piece of evidence that we have gathered that, hey, it's a jewelry purchase has occurred and that by its very nature is a risky type of purchase. In addition to that, we gathered another clue which said, hey, this transaction happened on a weekend. Uh, In addition to that, we said, hey, when this employee tried to reconcile this transaction within their expense system, they reconciled it as a hotel stay, right? (laughs) So statistically, we don't see people making jewelry purchases and classifying them as hotel stays. And and oh, by the way, this employee has had a pattern of doing this in the last 30 days, like five times. So the probability,
0: (laughs) you know... That's right. As you get more evidence, That's you're, right. you're updating the probability of this looking like That's correct. And, fishy. and we're
1: building a confidence score around this particular case, right? Yeah. And then we're presenting all of this evidence uh, so that the human can take a more advanced action than a clerical action.
0: I, I love this. And this is classic example of Bayesian thinking as well. Yeah. You know, and and, and, and for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Thomas Bayes uh, was a, well, I think he was actually. Um, he was like a, a religious minister or something in the 17th century but he came right. up with this brilliant concept which is sort of at the heart of today's understanding of probability and machine learning which is when faced with an uncertain future you, you can actually update your understanding as you get more information even if that information is unproven right right um, and, 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 and I guess when you have people who are then able to use these systems how does that change the nature of their job so, so rather than just clerically working out whether something's correct or not, armed with this information, how can they then change behavior?
1: Absolutely, so, um, so again, if you kind of contrast this to what they were doing before, now they're in a position to have a more sort of meaningful dialogue with the employee based on all the evidence that we have gathered and, and question about <laughs> activities that are happening in these gray areas, uh, requesting information back from the employee to justify that. Now what we'll find is that, you know, as part of that back and forth dialogue, sometimes it makes sense, right? Why they had to do something like this. And in other situations, um, it may be one where it needs to be escalated and investigated more broadly than that single issue, right? Right. Um, But eventually what we find is that the education process, when you go to the employees with such evidence is uh, one where it has a tremendous change in terms of their outlook and and, uh, behaviors going forward, right? Uh, They can explain to you uh, why there was a single transaction at a point in time that was done, but when you go to them with a pattern of why do they go to a grocery store every other day and on weekends excessively when nobody else in the company is doing that, right? It becomes harder to justify that. (laughs) I
0: I never thought I would see that why I'd be asking this question, but... What does this mean for the future of the job of a financial auditor? Uh,
1: I mean, what is that? I mean,
0: what, what are the skills that become important if it isn't just about identifying erroneous expenses? Um,
1: well, I think, I think the future lies in making targeted recommendations, right. right? Targeted recommendations for creating a culture of compliance that goes beyond uh, looking for risk uh, at a transaction level or even at a pattern level. Right. the beauty of all of this data that we are collecting is for one it's analyzed data right the system has done some analysis to come up with the baseline of you know these alerts layered on top of that is the curated human judgment that's gone in to then actioning these findings right now all of that because then which then feeds, feeds back, back in that's right, right that's right right and, and so now we have collected this rich data source, a new rich data source, that's fed back into the analysis engine, but now we're not looking for problematic transactions, but mm-hmm. instead looking for targeted recommendations to improve the business and the process. So
0: there's one layer of this, which is just smart <laughs> human beings with context who are training the machine learning algorithms to get better at the job. That's right. right? That's sort of the, the baseline. And, and actually, these people probably shouldn't be located in Hyderabad. They it should be close to the business. Right. Because you know, they've got more context. They're probably higher level people. But then there's another layer on top of this, which is, you know, the broader question of uh, what level of risk do we, you know, uh, do we want? Um, what what are the uh, what are the smarter ways that we can spend money? What are the, you know, it, can we, you know, can we look at procurement in a different way? That's exactly right. Can we create right? Different so policies? so and,
1: and and that's the beauty of the, doing analysis on analyzed data. Right, um, that you can feed that back in the, the engine and now you're looking to say, hey, and the, and the output is, for example, uh, a policy recommendation on procurement of certain items. right? Or it could be around optimizing buying channels based on some internal and external benchmarks. Um, or it could be, for instance, a targeted recommendation that says, hey, employees in this department need to be educated the most about this type of risk and, and policy. right? Yeah. Uh, and you can drive at every level Within the organization's strategic and tactical decisions, in a way that just lifts the overall performance of that organization, right? So. I,
0: I, I interestingly, I I, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to come at this from another angle. I was doing some work with people in corporate travel. Yeah, okay. And so these are the people who were creating the policies.
1: That's right, that's right.
0: And their their big focus was uh, not just compliance, but how do we think more strategically using artificial intelligence about the needs of the corporate traveler Mm -hmm. Uh, so rather than just saying you know you have to stay at the Hilton and this is the most you can spend and please don't deduct your coffees yeah it it was more about okay we know you're this kind of person Um, you know have you you've 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 set a meeting have you booked your hotel already because we'll save 20% if you do it now and here's some other fun like other alternative hotels in the same price bracket that might suit your Mm -hmm. you know demographic profile Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how we can sort of start to merge these two worlds of, of, of compliance, but also cr- the creative design of That's of, right. of corporate policy. And,
1: and there's no better way to get better insight into your process than by focusing on where the risk and breakdowns are happening, right? And and a really good feedback loop that we've seen with our customers around this is, and I'll give you a couple of examples, one with a, with a large uh, fast food restaurant chain. Um, where you know, they had a um, policy for the longest time that you know, hey, when you're traveling on business, you can't rent in-room movies. And that makes all the sense in the world from a corporate point of view. But what they were finding is there is just so much excessive entertainment and uh, going out and drinking in, in bars <laughs> and, and having lavish dinners happening within the business that, uh, that was exposed to them through the, the analysis, the risk analysis, that got them to rethink that policy and say, hey, you know, you can actually go rent in room movies. And they saw all of that wasteful spend go down. I mean, so it, was it was unbelievable. It was a
0: lesser of two evils. Yeah, like, and I'm
1: not necessarily saying that's the best practice and companies should do that, but, but it was. But, it was
0: so that's, so <laughs> it's better for the people to, to spend money on an overpriced in house movie than, than to go out drinking <laughs> all night.
1: <laughs> well, it saved uh, quite a lot of money in this case.
0: You know, if, if, we, if we step back and, and look at this you know, more broadly, the way we've constructed companies today, and departments and, and people, there is so much work which is just people chasing paper, chasing people, policies, procedures, processes, uh, that if you think more broadly, that if there's other opportunities to use AI and data to automate and to bring more insight into processes, what do you think this ultimately means for large corporations? I mean, the whole idea of the back office—we sort of tried to save money by sweeping it under the mat and putting it, offshoring it. But it feels like now with technology, we can look at all of this again and think more strategically about what people should actually do.
1: Uh, absolutely, and um, you know, if you think about in the finance function world, right, there are a lot of different business processes that um, and, and systems that have essentially just put. Um, technology around a manual process to give it sort of some structure right but uh, the future ultimately lies and in...
0: robotic process automation is, is a great example of
1: that. yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, having said that right there's still to a large degree transactions that occur within these organizations that need to be reconciled on a transactional basis, that need to be approved on a transactional basis, that need to be audited on a transactional basis, right? So if you kind of start thinking about how you can potentially disrupt this world, it starts with, okay, do we really need, what we are doing today for our customers is essentially eliminating the need to manually look at every single transaction to audit it. Now you kind of take that upstream to the point where you're like, well, do I really need every single transaction to be approved? Ultimately, do I really need every single transaction to be reconciled? So as the the AI gets smarter and smarter, you can start seeing that, hey, this is normal for this employee. They've traveled to this location before, and the more data you're bringing in, the more knowledge you're creating about, hey, this sales rep is, is working on a pursuit with this particular prospect we expect them to travel here these are business meals but then all of a sudden there's this jewelry purchase let's have them reconcile that jewelry purchase and approve that jewelry purchase rather than every single transaction that they incurred part of it right so
0: and and you can see that similar thinking that needs to be applied in other areas I mean like airport security I mean why do we check every single person if we took a risk based approach that's right you know we could use data to, (coughs) to figure out who's actually an issue Um, or even credit card fraud. I mean, every time I travel to a different city, I get my card blocked because there's a very simple, uh, ineffective algorithm that's driving driving that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the key, I think, is getting access to all the relevant data Mm -hmm. and then having the artificial intelligence create confidence models that correlate all of these disparate data sources to draw effective conclusions, right? You've got to have the confidence in the conclusions you're drawing in order to take the actions.
0: So, so I see that it's logical how this applies to something like travel expenses, but, but as you look at other categories like procurement, right. is, is, the, is the logic the same or is it, is it something different that we're trying to optimise around?
1: Well the use cases are slightly different, um, but at the end of the day um, you know, it's about people. Right. people are making transactions and they're applying judgments when they're making these transactions or engaging in in disbursements or um, contracting with their suppliers or customers right and and it's all about making them smarter and educated in what they're doing on the front lines of the business so they're, they're achieving the best outcomes um, now if you look at uh, scenarios outside of travel and expense uh, there are a lot of similar business processes that these customers, uh, these large corporations engage in. For example, there is a, there is a system around timekeeping uh, where all the contractors and <laughs> the employees are entering yeah. their timesheets so they can get paid, right? Uh, but here's the beauty. The two silos are not connected, right? So for example, I could be on PTO in my HR system, but I'm submitting my expenses in t for the same time period. I'm having all these meals with customers. But wait a second, I was on PTO that day, all right? So being I, I able to... I
0: don't understand. What's the distinction?
1: So they're completely different systems, right. right? They're not connected in any way or not talking to each other. Different providers, so... You need a way to consolidate data from these different silos and correlate the, uh, the data to see if there is any potential risk.
0: But but also you can you can improve the experience for the employees. Absolutely. Well, because if you have a like a very good calendar application, mm-hmm. you which shows that you're having lunch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you should be able to automatically generate the timesheet and probably automatically pre-populate the expense report.
1: Absolutely. Yep, that's uh, that's that's the the chase that we're all after is how do we make that easier and and better experience
0: yeah i mean people people's people are worried about jobs uh, and they're worried that automation is going to change i think everyone accepts that these new technologies will change what they do but is it also true that it will eliminate some of these clerical work that just doesn't need to exist anymore
1: i think eliminating clerical work versus eliminating the People involved right. in the in the doing that job are two different um, s- situations, right? So, um, what we are experiencing uh, with our customers is it's not so much that uh, that they're eliminating the people; they're eliminating uh, the work that was being done by those same people uh, in a way that they're achieving better outcomes with less effort now. Um, but at every level within the organization. Uh, what they were accomplishing before versus what they're accomplishing now has changed, right? right. So these same clerical uh, type individuals are doing a higher value job in terms of mitigating risk but and changing behavior. Do we need behavior. to retrain
0: them? Do you think? Uh, that's, or, or, or. that's the
1: power. That's the that's the purpose of technology is to augment uh, and not so much retrain as it just depends on how the technology is. The role the technology is playing in, in essentially we're, retraining we're,
0: them, but essentially we're freeing them up from looking at every transaction <clears throat> to looking at exceptions. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. But but also uh, from a different perspective. Right. Right. Not so much from like, hey, is there is there a defect here? But making sure that they also recognize that there's a uh, an element of risk that if they're not focused on otherwise is going undetected.
0: Well one of the things that really fascinated me when I, when I was talking to some of the, the the people today that these aren't just the traditional conservative you know 200 year old organizations that you'd imagine they, mm-hmm. they were high tech mm-hmm. startups silicon valley brands and firms
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know, it sort of occurred to me that just because you start your company five years ago and you've got the smartest AI programmers in the world doesn't mean you don't still have a very traditional process around managing expenses. And mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you find that we get these problems just at a point of scale? Like, when you get lots of people, even if you're a very high-tech company, you still have to fight the temptation to build a very manual process.
1: Not necessarily, right? At the end of the day, this is about people and process, right? It's uh Do do Uh, tech companies
0: look at it differently? uh, Well,
1: tech companies look at it differently from the standpoint of, you know, they have slightly different culture, um, uh, you know, operating procedures. uh, But in terms of um, mitigating risk and changing behavior, yeah, they do care about that as much as, you know, the next guy, right? So uh, uh, now they may take a slightly different approach. Again, culturally, uh, it's okay at some of these... uh, forward-thinking, uh, you know, innovative companies for employees to uh, engage in, uh, in transactions that otherwise may be see- deemed excessive in some other organizations, like in but at in the same ha- time… Like in-house movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, they want to make sure that nobody's taking advantage of that, right. right? So it becomes more about focusing in on behaviors and patterns than looking at just that individual transaction at a point in time.
0: So, if we look out five or 10 years, um, how do you see these technologies will evolve in, in the enterprise, uh, the ones that are changing our approach to risk?
1: I think ultimately it's going to come down to being more automated in terms of the business process itself hmm. um, and focusing more on recommendations, right, to improve uh, the opportunities that there are within the, the business function, right? Do, so do you see
0: the system making these recommendations or do you think this is what the people will be doing?
1: Well I think the system can make the recommendation. People have to action the recommendations. And again there's an element of judgment that needs to be layered in on that. Uh, and technology is going to continue to continue to chase uh, that element of how can we get more sophisticated in coming up with a judgment that ultimately can also be actioned, right? And then it's just going to continue to augment the human's job in, in all of this as well.
0: You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com/slash-between-worlds.